You're listening to Bo and Dave's excellent podcast, Chicago's podcast. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Bo and Dave's show or Facebook.com forward slash The Bo and Dave Show. Buckle up, bitches. It's about to get juicy. Bastion. Why don't you do what you dream, Bastion? But I can't! I have to keep my feet on the ground! Call my name! Bastion! Please! Save us! Alright! I'll do it! I'll save you! I will do what I dream! Episode number 59, we are here, and uh, what a huge show we have for you today. We have a special guest on the phone, uh, Tammy Stronach. You, we, uh, you'd probably know her from uh, The NeverEnding Story. She played a little part called the uh, Childlike Empress. Welcome to the show, Tammy. Thank you so much for coming on. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Oh, and, and it's it's my pleasure. And and when this opportunity came up, uh, I was super excited, as I'm sure. I, I know you've been doing some interviews. I'm sure everybody's been excited because uh, everybody loved The NeverEnding Story. Everybody did. <laughs> yeah, it's one of those movies that it's, it's actually really fun because if you look at, you know, people who are sort of, you know, sending me letters about it and tweeting about it, it's such a wide range of people it's like a very very diverse group of people and i love that i love that it's like young people and old people and people from like vastly different sort of cultural frameworks so yeah it's kind of fun it's it's awesome and 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 i'm kind of a little fanboy right now so so bear with me but um i want to at the risk of sounding redundant because you know the internet's one of those things where you can find pretty much anything you want so i i I do want to talk about the never-ending story i'm going to try and ask some questions maybe you haven't been asked uh just to keep it interesting for you especially i'm sure you do these and get the same questions over and over did you ride falcor and all that um (laughs) so 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 we'll get to all that um but the main thing you have there's a lot of really interesting stuff that i that i that i found uh in doing some research that i'm really excited to talk to you about and uh one of them is um um the 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 movie you're promoting ultra low um yeah i started to uh look back at um getting back into acting again which is kind of a fun um new direction um and it's my life feels like it's coming back around. Like I started in in, in film in this really surprising way, and then I went off and, and was a dancer and a choreographer for a really long time. And then um, now acting, even though I kept acting on the New York stage, is starting to become kind of uh, something that is, is calling me back. And uh, I've been looking at a lot of scripts, and one of the scripts that came across my desk was Ultra Low, and... Um, 
I, I really like the script because it was a film about how hard it is to make a film. <laughs> <laughs> and I just thought that that premise was um, something really related to as a producer and somebody who's been making art for the last 20 years. Uh, so I had, I just had a good chuckle reading about it. And, um, and, and I, yeah, I flew down and did a, a cameo in it and it was a lot of fun. That's awesome. Yeah, and that uh, this movie, Ultra Low, it's got Lauren Holly in it. You know her from Dumb and Dumber, Picket Fences, Chicago Hope, um, Turbulence, What Women Want. She's been in all kinds of stuff. Uh, the, one yeah. that I, the one that I found real interesting, and I haven't seen it yet, but uh, uh, Yuji uh, Akimoto. And yeah. and he was <laughs> kind of an interesting, another kind of a throwback to a great 80s film. He, he was uh, chosen in Karate Kid 2, was probably what most people would know him for, um, fighting Danielson in the big finale of Karate Kid uh Karate Kid Yeah, it was a Part big two. 80s reunion. Yeah, <laughs> it's so awesome. It's so awesome. We love the 80s here, for sure, for sure. Um, and then uh, the director, um, uh, Nick, he... he he wrote and directed a movie that that I thought, and I had to go deep on this because I, I knew I knew the name, but he, he directed this movie called uh, Matt's Chance, and it had Edward Furlong from Terminator 2 and Lee Majors and Margot Kidder. Um, so there's a, a lot of really cool ties to this to this movie, I think. Um, what was your experience like on set? Was it fun with just a cameo? It was super fun. I mean, for me, it was... Um it was an invitation to come and play myself, which I thought was also really funny <laughs> because it's a, a movie about how hard it is to make a movie and everyone in the movie is actually literally playing themselves. So this is sort of a lot of tongue-in-cheek layers to it. And, um, and so, for yeah, it was awesome. I flew down and uh, stayed up for two nights because... Uh, we rented a movie theater for the shot that I, I did, and so we had to do it overnight because there's uh, shows during the day in the movie theater. <laughs> sure. <laughs> and I was like, okay, I remember I remember this. I remember staying up all night, and I remember <laughs> <laughs> the sort of insanity of the movies, um, but the really fun insanity of it. It was great, and uh, it's just a, a, a really small sort of teaser teaser role, but it's, um, it was a kind of nice, like, okay, yeah, I definitely want to get back involved in this. And so, um, since then I've been, um, looking at more scripts and looking at other opportunities to kind of get in further into, uh, back into acting. Sure. And, and has it, has it been a difficult process for you? I mean, obviously you're, you're, you're known for the never ending story. Like that's something that everybody, it's like a, like a, a, a cult favorite even, even now. And I'm sure, you're always going to be tied to that. Is it difficult to take to take a break from? Uh, I don't want to say acting because, like you said, you've been doing a lot of theater. But to take a break from acting in film and then try to get back uh, into it is has that been a difficult process for you or relatively easy? I think that. Um, I mean, I think the acting itself is is the, the funnest part of the whole thing. You know, once you are in a story and you. Um, just get to exercise your imagination. It's, you know, whether it's on camera or whether it's off camera, it feels like the same thing. I think for me, the hardest part is um, I've been so lucky <laughs> and so blessed to kind of be in a position most of my life to really choose the content that I want to put my time and energy towards um, and also produce a lot of that content myself or be involved in 
theater companies where even the writing process, we would start together as a team and sit around like a group of a table with 10 people and everyone's contributing ideas to it. So I think, um, you know, I think for me, the hardest part is just finding material that I'm really excited about. And I think that, you know, I want to um, find my way in, but I also want to do it with projects that I'm, you know, passionate about. So obviously those are, you know, it's, it's, to, to write a really amazing story is is not easy. <laughs> right. Oh, I can imagine. <laughs> you know? <laughs> so um, so I think, you know, I think just like everyone else, I'm going to have to work really hard and, 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 you know, dot my T's and cross my I's and, um, you know, do all the work that it's going to take. Uh, I'm fortunate that there are people that are interested in, in having me come on board, but I'm also really looking for the right kinds of projects. Sure, sure. That's... Uh... It's great to it's great to have that and 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 to have because you're into so many different things so it's great to be able to to maybe pick and choose a little bit I love I love that you know that's a great advantage to have um, one of the things that I thought is really cool and and I and I mean this I I, I really do mean this is uh, um, you're the CEO you you guys started a paper canoe company which is uh, like a theater like family style entertainment as I understand yeah. it. Um, yeah, yeah, basically, yeah. Mm-hmm. And and I think that this is awesome. So maybe can you give us a little background on what 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 made you decide Definitely. to go into this? Because that's a difficult decision, I'm sure. Well, I had a, a daughter, and um, and after I had a daughter, I just found that I was reading her stories all the time and grabbing all her stuffed animals and essentially creating one-woman shows with like three hundred, you know, <laughs> three hundred sure. stuffed animals, and she's just um, just the most animated, wonderful child. And so we developed a character and a voice for each stuffy and, you know, plot lines. And I started realizing that I really enjoyed coming up with stories for my daughter. And um, a lot of the projects that I was doing, I, I really cared about. But there was this part of me which was really invested in um, what kinds of stories my daughter was going to be hearing and what kinds of worlds I was going to be exposing her to. And I found that in some ways there wasn't as much content that I wanted to share. Like I, I there was great content, but it also um, ran out at a certain point. And I thought, you know, this just feels like what I'm passionate about right now. It's where my heart is. It's where my head is. And um, and I started to really want to make um, stories that would be for families, for my daughter, but also for her friends and for my community. And so pretty soon we started putting up some plays here in Brooklyn where I live, and um, and it was just wonderful. Like, all the families came out, and, and then I, I'm a, uh, a professor of dance as well, and I taught as a teaching artist for many years, so I started to attach um, different kinds of uh, companion classes, art-making classes that went along with the shows that we were doing, and pretty soon parents were sending me videos of puppet shows their kids were making with the puppets they made at our show after the show, and it felt like all the different pieces of my life, my, um, my, my life as a performer and as a producer, my life as a, as a mom, and my life as a teacher kind of came together under this one umbrella, and I decided that this is really something I want to spend some time doing because um, I'm just really, really passionate about um, making stories um, that will nourish and inspire kids. Uh, I think that's and, – and their families, I think – Part of what I see in my community with my friends and just conversations I have with other moms and dads is sometimes 
everyone is so exhausted because the pace of life is so difficult that instead of using entertainment as a way to bring the family together, (laughs) like it used to be we'd all go to a movie together. It was like movie night, right? And you like make a date and you put on your jackets and everyone goes together. And now it's like, okay, you take your phone and go watch this in that room and I'll take my phone and go watch this in the other room and it's almost like doing the opposite it's like separating people instead of like bringing them together for a shared experience right and i think movies like star wars are not like that like they 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 still because they still have that feeling of like this i'm not gonna watch this alone (laughs) right right (laughs) you can watch this with a friend and you talk about it (laughs) and the you know et there's all those movies that i grew up with and so I'm really nostalgic for um, for art that um, is entertaining, but also doubles as an excuse to kind of bring families together and get closer rather than apart. Yeah, I think it's great, too, because, you know, the theater scene out here, uh, granted, it's no nothing like it is in New York, but... Um, you know, in, the, in this age of technology, it's it's sometimes hard to get people out to shows. Um, but there is also a lack of things people can do as a family. It seems like you know you can go to the zoo or or whatever. But uh, you know, there, the, I think people there's there's a need for that. There's a need for 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 more things that people can do with their kids and and you know participate and 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 whether. Uh, something to get out of the house, you know, and go see something. I, I think that there's so much value in what you're doing with that. And, and in your community, it's probably very well received, I would imagine. Yeah, no, it's been really fun. Our, our motto is we want to make adults feel like kids and kids feel like grownups. That's so cool. So I think, you know, just as a, as an adult, one of the things that I really love about the never ending story was the message that, you know, the nothing was sort of apathy and hopelessness and and in a way kind of where Bastion's father was in this sort of like emotionless plane. And Bastion was this young, oversensitive boy who was hyper-imaginative and hypersensitive. <laughs> and it was sort of this story about um, the value of those things and how um, you can can use them to build new worlds. And, and I think that... Um, for me, I just really, really like that message of keeping the hopeful kid in us alive, the imaginative part of ourselves alive. And so um, I think, you, you know, that's really stayed with me from the Neverending Story. And we do digital content, too, now. We're starting to branch out into digital content. I don't think only live shows are, are – I think there's something really special about live shows, and we'll continue to do them. But I also think there's just um, – there's just, you know, there's something about – different kinds of content ask for a different kind of engagement and some things kind of like, you know, sort of tune you out and some things kind of wake you up and bring you together. And um, it's not, it's not always easy to to figure out that balance. It's definitely a a question of, of how, but it's a question I'm really curious about investigating. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and, and I I think, you know, obviously technology is not going anywhere. So if they're, you know, you know, why, why not, you know, put content out there that that maybe something different than like a video game or or, or whatever it is that, that you need uh, Facebook coins to keep playing and all that fun stuff. Um, I just started a little series, um, just a fun sort of uh, um, thing for parents. Like It's like a craft activity to do with your kids. If you 
don't know what to do with them. But um, instead of doing it with kids, I do it with uh, like an interesting artist or celebrity. And so it's just me and another adult. Oh, it's cool. That's cool. <laughs> doing a craft activity. And I just did one uh, with Kip from TV on the radio. They're friends oh, wow. of mine from the neighborhood for a long time. And I really, really love that band. And I love Kip. And he's an amazing artist. So um, it's just fun to watch an adult tap into this sort of concentrated craft-making <laughs> thing that, you know, you got to do as a kid, but don't really get to do as an adult. And then obviously you go away with a great activity that you can then use in its a more traditional context. For sure, for sure. Um, so getting into the never-ending story, and we and we got to yeah. do it. I know. Do you ever get sick of oh, talking yeah, no, about I it? I love talking about the never-ending story. Right, really, I do. Because <laughs> um, I felt I'm like I gotta ask. There's some questions I have to ask, and of course. and obviously you were really young when you were like ten when they were filming this, and and uh, um, I read somewhere, and, and I want to say maybe it was on IMDb that you had lost your both of your front teeth before filming, and you had to have like fake teeth put in. Is that right? Yeah, not the um, not the two that are in the center, but the ones next to them. Okay. Uh, yes, I lost those, and um, it was Wolfgang Peterson looked very stressed out. I <laughs> 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 like saw his face like turn white, and um, and I was like, oh, I'm in trouble. And then they sent me to this dentist, and it was harrowing. It was like. Um, it had to. It was before dentistry was as good as it is now, you know. And right. now I feel like it's all kinds of amazing tooth replacement technology. But it wasn't as advanced back then. And they kept on making these different molds of my mouth and trying to make these different dentures. And the first couple tries were just awful. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and then eventually they sort of figured out. Um, a, a pair that looked good enough, but they were huge. I mean, I, I find it really funny when I look at the film because I just see that enormous pair of dentures in my mouth, and and um, and when I put them in initially, they made me lisp. Oh, sure. Quite, yeah. So I had to practice um, kind of wrapping my lips around these oh big my dentures gosh. to get my enunciation back. <laughs> <laughs> That's too much. So so this is like your first film, and I understand you kind of chanced into this, right? You were taking some yeah. acting classes as a child, right? And mm -hmm. you were, uh, for lack of a better term, discovered just by, ha by chance, right? Yes. It was totally one of those weird stories where the casting agent just happened to stop by the class. That's, yep. that's amazing. So, so you're, 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 10 years old you get to travel over to germany where the where the um where the film was shot or, or a lot of it was um but i always wondered right you're so you're i'm imagining a 10 year old a 10 year old kid right and you're going to play this childlike empress and i know uh from from what i understand that you've really took this this part very seriously um but what was your reaction when you first walk on set because of, as i remember that the 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 main scenes that you're in towards the end of the movie it was a real elegant like you know, this big, huge gown and this big, I, I would imagine, like, just your mind being blown when you walk on set and see where where they want you. It was. It was It was really magical. I, I have to say, um, I have really, really fond memories of of being on set. And, and it was literally like, yeah, your, your imagination just kind of exploded. You were just like, I, I you know, how is it possible that, this is in front of me right now. So 
um, for for me, who was sort of an imagination junkie, <laughs> like, that's like where that was like my where I always was. I was like in heaven. It was great. Now, um, did you have any idea? I mean, this was a pretty big budget movie for its time. I want to say it was like the like one of the biggest budget movies ever shot in Germany at the time, like twenty seven million dollars. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but did you have any grasp of that when you were going into it, or was it just kind of like a fun? Oh, I'm going to go shoot a movie. No, we had no grasp of it. I mean, we were it's like I don't know. We were so naive. Like we, my parents were archaeologists, and also, you know, I grew up in in Iran, where my parents were working as archaeologists, and then we lived in Israel, and then we lived in England, and we'd only been in the states a couple of years. Oh wow! And we really were very, in some ways, very new to America, and just. We weren't, um, we didn't know anything about Hollywood, (laughs) (laughs) nothing. So I think, you know, my mom was like, oh, well, this should be a nice little summer jaunt, you know? (laughs) We'll go over there and we'll just film a little something. That sounds nice. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) Yeah. So we really did not understand. I think that, you know, for me... I was just a little kid, so when I saw the scope of it, I was like, yeah, this seems right. I read the script. This seems right on the point. But I wasn't adding up the sort of dollars and cents of the sets. Like, <laughs> Sure, sure. Yeah. Well, I was even surprised looking at those numbers. For Everybody has to remember this movie came out in 1984, and I think that's a big budget even for a, a movie today, you know? It really is. Yeah, yeah it really is. Um, yeah. And to put that into perspective, I mean, E.T. released in 1982. I think the budget for that movie was like $10 million. So this is a pretty significant movie. Um, but when you have the like the puppets and, and, and uh, the animatronics and stuff, I think uh, you can see where that where that went. Um, you got to see some of that stuff in person, I take it? like uh, I did. I really did. It was so fun. I, I, I wish I had done even more of it. Um, but as a little girl, you didn't have the autonomy to just be like, all right, I'm, I'm off. I'm going to check out the different sound stages. I'll be back in six hours. Like, (laughs) you know, you had to sort of organize it and be accompanied. Um, but I did, um, I, I did ask to be allowed to go see other things getting filmed and, and they were nice and they did definitely give me the opportunity to do that in a variety of different locations. Um, and those memories are, are extraordinary. The Swamps of Sadness is just the craziest set I've ever seen. It was a tent from the outside, but the tent was so enormous. I just, it was, you know, it, it was like a city block, several city blocks. That's oh, how big the tent was. That's amazing. And it just looks like a white canvas tent from the outside. And then you walk in, and there's like six feet of mud and like trees as far as the eye could see. Oh my and gosh. Rolling smoke. And as soon as you took like, you know, six or seven steps from the door, you were lost. Like you couldn't, see, like the edges disappeared and you were in the swamps of sadness. It was amazing. It was wow. completely amazing. Wow. Yeah. Um, and so all the sets had that kind of magic to them. I feel like the, just the artists that worked on it, the visual artists, and the people that designed the sets, designed the costumes, designed the puppets, that, you know, the film really was as impactful as it was. I, I mean, I, I know people today that I meet in, in Brooklyn 
who are, you know, German artists that are working in New York, and, and then if they find out that I'm in the narrative story, they're like, oh, I did masks for that. Or, oh, wow. oh I did, like, <laughs> literally every German oh my gosh. artist I meet kind of got some, you know, some kind of work from that <laughs> film, that, you know, because <laughs> it really just employed such a massive pool of, um, of artistic talent, yeah. Did you have a favorite uh, puppet in the movie? I, I got to say my favorite, and I'll, I'll just throw this out there because everybody yeah, your favorite. Everybody sells. Everybody says uh, uh, Falcor for sure, right? I yeah. liked Morla. I liked the turtle. The turtle. <laughs> it was the best. Yeah, was yeah. Best. Morla's pretty awesome. Um, yeah, I mean, I think you know, I sort of love the rock biter. I do. I love how sort of. Um, I love his character. I love the fact that he's so huge and strong and he's just, you know, so kind of soft inside. Like I just, yeah. <laughs> just like that. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so did you watch it like right when it came out? I watched it at the premiere. Sure. Uh, there was a premiere in, in Munich. It- um, and we got, you know, all fancy and went to the theater and then I sat down and it started and it was all in German. Oh no. <laughs> oh my gosh. And so I really didn't get to see my performance like with my voice. It was a, like a dubbed into German. So oh, I saw the on. film but I was like, what oh, is that? I don't know if I did okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. So I had to wait until uh, it came out in in English to see it in English. <laughs> Jeez, Louise, <laughs> that was funny. <laughs> so when you when you finally did see it in English, did it turn out like how you had imagined? Because I I would think it, you know, these things get shot in segments and 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 uh, you know I know yeah, I think Bastion's yeah. scenes at 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 his at his home or or at the school were shot in Canada maybe. Um, so when you see it all put together, is it what you had imagined or better? No, or? I mean, it, it far surpassed what I imagined. I definitely saw bits and pieces, but there was no music and there was no, you know, um, I think that, um, when I saw the whole thing, I was, I was, I was really excited. I was like, this is beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and, and, and seeing all the things that I had seen shot live, um, was really instructive and, and really interesting. Yeah. And, and I got to tell you, not for nothing, the, the scenes that you were in in that movie, like namely the one where uh, the, the scene where you're, 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 you're telling Bastion he needs to say, your, you know, give you your name, and you're looking, it's just you looking right into the camera. I, I thought that was, a to me, and even still like watching it as an adult, I'm like, that's a pretty powerful scene and a pretty heavy scene for a 10-year-old. Uh, was it a challenge for you, or was it just like, ah, no, no big deal, I got this? I have to say, I, I, I felt very connected to the story. It didn't, It I think in some ways, you know, crying and, and feeling sort of, um, you know, terribly sad about the end of the world and everything <laughs> right. you love, like, that's not hard, you know? <laughs> right. Like, you know, as a kid, your emotional channel has, is, it's allowed to stay open. And I think in some ways, you know, life kind of tries to, um, 
make us a little bit harder so that we can cope with all of the complexities. And so often as people age, that channel gets like more and more closed. But I think for many people, that emotional channel is, is pretty open as a kid. So, um, so in some ways that's actually an advantage, you know, because, um, you're, you're, you know, and also, I mean, I have a seven-year-old. She cried. She's like, the gum wasn't the right flavor, you know? <laughs> right. Yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> so, I mean, if I tell her the end of the world's coming, she's just, you know. <laughs> oh, <geez>. yeah. <laughs> so I think, you know, in some ways, um, no, like I think, you know, the story was very engrossing and Wolfgang was really um, excellent director and he would sort of whisper into my ear all the things that are, happening and you know once you listen to that you're pretty devastated so um it 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 was um it was really and it was i mean i found it really fun i guess that's weird <laughs> no that's cool though it's cool <laughs> but i did <laughs> you know um i think um yeah i mean i i wanted i wanted um I wanted to be in that world, so it was it was awesome. I I just remember I don't know how many I must have watched that movie a hundred times when I was younger. It was just it was it was just the movie to watch. I'm sure you hear that a lot. But um, so fast forward now, all right? The movie's out. Um, it's it's released here in the states. How long is it before you you do you start getting noticed when you go like to the store? I mean, I'm trying to picture this time. But, you know, it's 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 1984. Um, you know, is it- I think in some ways I had such a lucky experience in that in some ways the film, the film was really big in Germany. And so I was on a lot of magazine covers in Germany on a lot of buses and billboards and things. So when I walked around in Germany, everyone recognized me. Sure. But in many ways, when I came to the States and I was just in my hometown going to school, looking scruffy with my backpack. It this it didn't have the same quite as much advertisement here as it did there. Sure. And and then it became more popular kind of over time. I almost feel like it's it was one of those things that with age it became more popular somehow. Gotcha. So that really allowed me to have a very normal childhood and I wasn't recognized. Um, sometimes people would come to the house looking for me. Oh, geez. Mostly from abroad. And I would walk right by them and they'd be like, does Tammy live here? And I'd be like, she did, but I don't know. I think she might have moved. So that, that <laughs> like, was kind of a blessing like, then. Looking straight <laughs> at me. <laughs> but, you know, there I was in jeans and not looking ethereal at all. And it was just interesting, like, because the role was sort of so ethereal and kind of made up somehow like a real kid in the real world, there was. No, like I really didn't get noticed a lot. Um, so in some ways I had a really nice experience because I sort of tasted fame and celebrity and saw what that was like, but I could also not be a part of that when I didn't want to be a part of it. And, um, and so it was a, um, and for me that was, that was positive. Yeah, that's, I was always curious about that. Yeah, because that's cool. You're like, you're in Germany, you're a celebrity, you're, you're like, you know, a cover girl at a young age and then you come back and maybe it's, 
not that big of a deal. It's kind of a lot to deal with it as, you know, at 10 years old. There'd be a lot to deal with, you know, in your 30s or 40s, much less anything else. So I wondered if that was like a bummer or a relief. Like, oh, thank gosh, nobody's trying to take my picture, you know. I mean, I think it just depends on your personality, probably. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, <laughs> like for sure. Like everything else, I think that there's probably people for whom it doesn't seem like a big deal at all. And it doesn't in any way... Um, it's positive. It feels good to them. You know, I think for, for me, I always felt like I wanted, and I always still want to really connect with people. I want to really know them. I want to understand who they are and I want them to understand me. And I, um, and I felt like sometimes when, um, as a kid, you know, when people would find out that I was in the never ending story, it sort of created a barrier. It was like, now I was sort of this, somewhat mysterious, untouchable thing, and, and somehow, instead of, like, making a connection with people, it sort of pushed me into some other category or place, and I found that really disconcerting. I just wanted to fit in. I just wanted to be like everyone else. Yeah. I wanted to, you know, and so I didn't want that, um, but what's great about talking about it now is, you know, that was, I'm, I'm a complete I'm in my mid forties. I'm a mom. I'm a, I've been an, a, an artist for 20, you know, 20 sure, years. I've sure. been a professor. And when I talk to people now about the narrowing stories, a story, what I, what I see is how much we have shared in common, that the things that I loved about the film, other people loved about the film and the ways that it inspired me to continue being creative. It often inspired lots of other people to continue being creative. And so now it's this tool for connecting with people, which is so cool you oh, know yeah. so it sort of flipped around and and i also think um you know uh i have so much more in common with people who love the Nevering story because we're all just like nostalgic for the 80s and have kids <laughs> right right yeah <laughs> you know what I mean? for sure so so it's it's actually um it's actually really nice uh way to connect with people these days for sure and then um the 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 other thing i was kind of curious about was Obviously, you know, the never-ending story, maybe it wasn't as big of a hit here as, as they thought it was or, or, or thought it would be, or, or, but it definitely was in Germany. I have to imagine there, there must have been a lot of opportunities for you after this movie came out. Um, what made you decide to step away from acting? Well, I should say I, acting know, in films. Sorry. Um, what? <laughs> no, acting yeah, acting um, in films. I'm sorry. Film. I got some very strange scripts after the Neverending Story. Um, there were scripts with nudity. There were scripts where I would have to be sort of brutally kidnapped. Oh, my and gosh. And I just, I was 11 looking at these scripts and sort of looking at my parents, and we were kind of blinking at each other. And we were all like, we're probably not the savviest people to know how to navigate all this stuff, you know? Oh, I'm sure. There's a lot of people <laughs> looking to take had, advantage. Like, yeah. you know, a manager and, like, maybe if, like, my dad had been in the movies and, like, knew, like, how to negotiate better and, you know, but we just had this overwhelming feeling that um, we were going to get chewed up, that if they kind of fed me to the Hollywood machine, it would win and I wouldn't. <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. And, you know, I don't know if that's true or not, but definitely based on um, the scripts that we saw directly after the film, that first year uh, and the auditions that I went on and the directors that I met, 
I was not interested in doing any of those projects. And um, so I think that, you know, we just made this agreement that if I wanted to get back to it as an adult, I would do it and that I would do it at a time when, um, you know, I felt able to, to navigate things. And I'm really grateful to my parents in a way because I think that um, it's just adolescence is such a, a complicated time as it is. I mean, yeah. just making it through adolescence, I think everyone needs like some kind of gold medal, don't you? Like, <laughs> oh, for sure, for sure. And, and the Hollywood so, part on it too, geez. Yeah, it's such a crazy thing to try to like, you know, grow up. And I think that um, in some ways, if you are over-sexualized before you're ready for that, you know, it's just not healthy if you're commodified and um, suddenly you're really wanted and then suddenly you're really not. Like, I think it can be really confusing. And so, um, you know, my parents were awesome and they really wanted me to have a sense of self-worth that was derived from you know, my ability to think, my ability to be creative, the, the, you know, the things that I was invested in and interested in. And then, um, and, and I think that, you know, in some ways, um, I think that it would be really hilarious and very bizarre if I was able to, uh, find my way back into acting in my mid forties, right at the age when every woman in Hollywood is supposed to be leaving. Right. <laughs> and I sort of love the um, the sort of uh, quixotic um, and, and sort of whimsical uh, proposition of that. And I think that, you know, the idea of doing it on your own terms and doing it in a way that preserves your pa- passion for the art form is really, um, is really the goal. And um, so, and I do think that Hollywood is changing now. I think the the lid kind of came off of it, and a lot of that CD stuff has been exposed. Yeah, thank and, goodness, huh? Yeah, and yeah. I do think it's kind of an interesting time to get back in the game where, in some ways, there's just a lot more awareness that, you know, it, it you know, you want to. You just want a professional working environment. People want to just tell great stories together. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, you know, and I, I think what a what a great uh, what a great thought process, right? Because how easy would it have been to just like take whatever movie came next? Because it's it could be a cash cow, right? But you look at the stories of people that are famous when they're young. It it it, it doesn't end well often. And when it does, I mean, even if you look at like a Drew Barrymore or Jason Bateman who, who've made it through, they've got some pretty interesting stories to tell. So I think uh, that's really cool for, for you to take a step back. And, and, I, and I'm sure that's a tough decision, you know, at the time, for sure. Yeah, no, I mean, I think, and I think, you know, you, you know there's, there's always a million ways to navigate forward. And I think, you know, you have to be um, creative and thoughtful, whatever, whatever path you take and clearly there are people that made it through as child actors and, and ended up, you know, having a lot of wonderful creative stories under their belt. And, but I think those people are really strong people who, uh, really did an amazing job at something not very easy to do. <laughs> yeah. And it's tough, you know, and, and, and yeah. even, even though there wasn't a TMZ back then, I mean, it was still out, you know, the tabloids or whatever it was, you know, it's, it's, you know, growing up in the spotlight is is not something that I would wish on anyone. So I think, uh, you know, it. But I always wondered, like, as being the kid in that role, if you're like, no, I want to do this. You know, that's cool that you were you had the wherewithal well, to say it's I, a good call. You know, I mean, at the like, I just honestly feel 
like if you love something and you're privileged enough to get to do thing with your life, like the only thing you say to the universe is thank you. That's it. That's all you say because there's so many people who live in such difficult circumstances. And, you know, I got to come to New York and be in the studio making dances and plays eight hours a day every day for the last 20 years. And so for me, I just feel like what what the NeverEnding Story did was kind of show me a world where there were, was all this art making and it was business. And I was like, oh, you can do this? Because <laughs> my parents were academics. You know, nobody around me was a working artist. Right. And I was like, but look at all these people. They're working artists. Right. And so it was almost like this really wonderful permission slip to be like, go for it, you know? And then how that unfolds is, you know, often surprising, but how boring if it would have unfolded just as the way you expected it to at 10, right? Right, right. <laughs> so it just kind of, and I feel like, you know, ultimately, um, just, I feel very, very grateful that I was able to uh, live a creative life. And um, so, so I kind of see it as, um, I'm very grateful to the NeverEnding Story. Sure. Did now? Did you uh, in in those auditions that came up afterwards, and, and and a lot of them you didn't want to do? Was are there any that you regretted? Like, oh, I auditioned for that and I, I passed on it, and maybe I maybe I should that would that turn out to be a big movie? Um, I didn't regret passing on any of them. <laughs> yeah, good, good. <laughs> but what, now, when you did the original Neverending Story, I would imagine that they had you sign on for a sequel, but the sequel was made like ten years later. Right, and everybody's exactly. older. Uh, that's one thing I regret. If I had signed on to do the sequels, I would have made a lot more money. <laughs> um, but we we chose not to sign on to the sequels, just to not lock me into anything. And, sure. and by the time the sequels were made, I was far too old to play the role. So. Um, in many ways, um, yeah. If I could go back in time, we might renegotiate that. Sure, moment. sure. Did you now? Did you go back and watch the second one? Just I, to see, I, out of curiosity. I'm so I'm so I I feel so I, I can't believe I'm saying this. Like I'm I I did not. I don't know why. Like for me, it's just like I couldn't. I I. It's like yeah. I just can't. So I didn't. <laughs> you know what? I didn't either. So I don't blame you. I the same probably for the same reason. But I feel so guilty. Yeah. But it's like I have such a nostalgia and like such a sense of um, connection to the first one. I should just go watch the second one. I feel embarrassed just admitting that now. It seems really silly. I should just go I, watch it. But I haven't. No, not, not I, yet. Maybe I, you'll inspire me too. I don't know. I saw, and then there was a third one too, and I was like, oh, just stop already. The first one was enough. <laughs> Leave it. Leave it alone. <laughs> um, so the last question I have about Neverending Story, and this one always bugged me. Like the, it was such a great movie, and there was so many. There was a Treyu, and and I think every every boy near near our age screamed a Treyu at one time. You know, um, Bastion has to come up with a name, and he comes up with Moonchild. Yeah, I, I was a when I remember when I watched the movie, I couldn't understand what he said. But uh, I, I scratched my head. I'm like, that's the first thing you came up with. What was your thought on uh, on that when you saw that Moonchild was the name? Well, that's the name that, that she's given in the book. Ah, okay. All right. That so, makes and sense. And Michael Enday, um, yeah, and in the book, it, there's, you know, some of the plot is a little bit different, and it makes a lot more sense in the novel why it's that. Okay. Um, 
But then Wolfgang's um, objective, in my opinion, um, by obscuring it that way, is my feeling is that he wanted everyone in the audience to have an opportunity to kind of hear in that scream whatever name they imagined oh, he should have. That's pretty and cool. And so in the same way that Bastion becomes a part of the, the story through reading the book, the audience becomes a part of the film through essentially hearing in their head whatever name they think it should be. There's sort of this moment where it's like a, you know, the audience is doing the same thing that Bastion's doing. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, and then he said, to, I was actually there that day and when they were filmed that and I remember watching Wolfgang take Barrett aside and say, you can give her whatever name you want. Why don't you take a couple minutes and think about what name you want to give her? Wow. And, and in, you know, in the, in the book, it was Moonchild. Um, and so Barrett was sitting there, and he had this really concentrated, like, look on his <laughs> little face. And, you know, he was like out different names and thinking about it and then after that session he came to Wolfgang and he was like no I think we should stick with the book and go with Moonchild so he says it in a couple syllables he's like Moonchild right yeah (laughs) yeah (laughs) a little obscured but um but anyway you know it was interesting because he really did give Barrett the opportunity to get creative and and use his own imagination in that moment and I think his goal was to have the audience use their imagination. But I think many people like you just ended up a little confused. So. <laughs> Very, well, thank you for clearing that up. I always wonder that. I'm like, why Moonchild? Well, I guess it would help if I would read a book once in a while, of course. <laughs> um, so, uh, boy, we've, we've said it all. We talked about Ultra Low, which is going to be coming out uh, soon, if it's not out already. I didn't get a date on it. But, coming uh, out soon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So keep an eye out for that. We'll share some links on that. Um, you can follow Tammy at NeverEndingTammy on Twitter. Uh, mm-hmm. Website, check out, check it out, papercanoecompany.com. Even if you're not from from the area, I would, I, you know, I'm a big fan of of theater, especially local theater, especially family theater. So, um, and theaters, I would assume this is this one's a lot like others where they need they need the support of the community and. I think even if you're not a part of that community, if you like theater and can help support. Oh, I would... it's always a really good time. Yeah. yeah. And people should check out, we have a CD called Beanstalk Jack that we recently released. Um, and it just won uh, two uh, awards for uh, Best sort of Family Music Album from the Family Choice Award and from NAAPA, the National Parenting Products Association. Um, so it's a really fun CD, and I do some singing on it. Um, and that's been a really fun project. It's a folk rock opera, so that's if that yeah. that is enough right there to grab me. And I I definitely am going to check that out. We'll share that that information too because that's on Spotify, isn't it? Yeah, it's on yeah. Spotify. It's, it's yeah, it's everywhere. Music is is streamed or bought. Yeah. There you go. There you go. Anything else? What are we going to see? What are we going to see next, out of you, Tammy? Oh, I have a bunch of stuff cooking, so it'll all be posted on my website. And um, and yeah, I just hope everyone out there. Stays, stays creative and, and keeps the kid inside alive. Excellent. Well, thank you so much, Tammy, and best of luck. And uh, hopefully we'll have you on again the next time you got something going. Thank you so much. Take care. All right, you too. Bye. Bye. Well, how about that? Tammy Stronick, the childlike empress from The NeverEnding Story, also known as Moonchild. Uh, you can follow her on Twitter at NeverEndingTammy. Make sure you check out her website, papercanoecompany.com. Thanks again for listening. Until next time. Thank you for listening.
Please be sure to subscribe and rate us. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Bill and Dave Show or Facebook.com forward slash The Bill and Dave Show.